welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Now, I need to confess something with us this morning. It's probably going to be something that will get me into trouble a little bit later, all right? So it's, I figure in married life, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission at times. But I remember when I was just, Shady and I were just newly married, and I think, Shady will correct me afterwards, but I think it was our first year of married life, and it came to Christmas, and the pressure was on, because like, there's pressure to go, what are we going to buy? What am I going to buy my newly wedded wife? You know, what am I going to buy my wife for a very first Christmas? And I remember what made it 10 times worse is, you know, so I've been thinking, I've been Googling, I've been looking at all sorts of different options. And I remember what made it even worse that I arrived home for work one day and I looked at the Christmas tree and there was an enormous big present. And I knew the pressure had gone from here to kind of like up here. And I was like, all right, did Jesus help me or come back? One of the two. Like, I'm like, I'm like, and I, and I, and so I, I can't, I, to be honest, I cannot remember what I bought Shadi for Christmas, but I remember Christmas morning. And I remember opening up the presents. And I, and I remember getting the big present out. It was, it was like this big by this high, and it was huge. And I remember thinking, you know, I had, I had the question that every one of us wrestle with. Do we open the card first or the present first? All right, card first, hands up. Those who, uh, yeah, okay, good. You good Christians. All right, for the rest of us who open the present, just go straight for the goodies. Just whatever, the, the card's just, just, just for there for good looks. All right, yeah, okay. So, and I remember opening it up. And to my amazement, my beautiful brand new wife to me had given me a huge framed scenic photo. Now, just quick question, church. Do I look like a huge frame scenic kind of guy? Yeah, I had that moment, like every good husband does. I had that choice. I had that moment in my, in my head that I, that, I, that, I, that I, and I did what every good husband did. I pretended to love that present with everything within me. Unfortunately, I'm not a very good liar. And so, uh, you know, I just wasn't that good at it. See, we've all experienced a moment in our lives where we've had to fake interest in something. My prayer this morning for us as we delve and we continue this series looking into Joseph, my prayer, and in fact, I, I sense it's God's, God's prayer and God's plead with us this morning is, let's not be like me who faked interest, but let's allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in us this morning. Let's not just kind of pay lip service to him and to, and to what God's going to bring out of this story this morning, but let's allow God to do a deep and meaningful work in us. Hey, let me pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for forgiveness of my wife. Thank you for big, large, framed, scenic photos. But God, thank you most of all that you are here through your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you this morning that we don't get to, we don't have to listen to me, but we get to listen to you. 
God, I want to pray this morning that that what you draw out of your scriptures this morning might not just change our our lives for a moment in a service, but God, you might use them to ingrain and change something in me and in us. God, thank you that you're present. God, thank you that you are alive. God, thank you that you're here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to look at something that every single one of us will and have no doubt encountered. Every one of us at some point have, have encountered this and it's caused us more trouble than anything else. And, it's, and it's, it's caused and it's given us more regrets. And ultimately it's caused us to pay a greater price than maybe we know or want to realize. We're going to look at the topic of temptation this morning. And the title of my message is From Truth to Temptation. And we're going to continue our series this morning in Genesis chapter 39. So if you've got your Bibles or a piece of technology, or you can read the screen, any one of those. It's free. It's, it's a nice and easy option this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this story. We're going to continue this story this morning. But before we jump into it, I, I want to give us just a refresher, remind us of where we are. So we're looking at the, the, the life, the story, the guy that was named Joseph. And, and he receives a dream from God. And in his youthful enthusiasm, he has a large mouth. And I know for, for some of us, our mouths have got us into a degree of trouble at different times. Mine probably more than most of yours. Uh, and so, you know, he, he's, he's a young guy with a big mouth who gets overly enthusiastic, overly excited about a dream that puts on his heart. And his brothers sell, they, they throw him into a pit, and he goes from the promise to the pit, and then they sell him into slavery. And this wasn't, wasn't where Joseph wanted to be. Joseph didn't want to be in, in slavery. He, didn't, he wanted to be back in his own house, in his own bed. And he doesn't want to be away from home. He doesn't want to be away from his family. Although he does have a messy family with brothers who aren't quite as nice as they should be. But he's now living in a foreign country. And he's now a slave to a man named Potiphar. Now, the Bible gives us a little snapshot into who Potiphar was. Potiphar wasn't just an anybody. He wasn't just kind of a random guy that you lived next to. Potiphar was a, was a man of high position. In fact, the Bible says that he was captain of the guards. In other words, he was one of the highest ranking military officials in all of Egypt. In fact, doing a little bit of research, it was actually suggested that, that Potiphar was Pharaoh's chief executor. So here was a guy of wealth and high standing and Joseph arrives on the scene to be one of his slaves. So Potiphar's a really big deal. So let's, we're going to pick up the story, chapter 39, verse 2. And it says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in a house of an Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found Favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted everything to his care. He, he gave him everything he owned. So here we find Joseph. 
Joseph's been sold into slavery by his brothers. He was threatened to be killed, but instead they just sold him into slavery. He's now a slave in Potiphar's house. But, but what struck me reading this this week was that, that Joseph succeeded in his life as a, as a slave in Potiphar's house because God was with him. See, I'm sure that, that Joseph was faithful in all the things that he did. I'm sure that Joseph was good in the things that he did. But what we find God saying through his word here this morning was that, that not that, that Joseph was blessed because of how good he did his job, but that he was blessed because God was with him. He wasn't blessed because, wasn't attributed because of his hard work, his entrepreneurial gifts, but because because of the presence of God with him. See, we can work hard, church, and God calls us to work hard. God calls us to, to do everything that we can do. But God is more concerned about our connection with him than how hard we work. He's, he's more concerned about that our presence is with us, not just in a building when there's keys up the back and marks up the front and, and all the rest of it, but that as we go into our weeks, as we go into our homes, as we go into our life, lives outside of church, that God is ever present with us. But see, when we're connected to God, God blesses what we do. But then this happens in verse 6, and it goes on to say, so Potiphar left everything, what? Everything he had in the hands of Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Jesus Bible, like, this is not like, you know, like, you know, you know some, some TV show late at night that we shouldn't be watching. This is like, this is right here in the Word of God. And, and what I find so fascinating, you know, and I've asked myself this week, is what would you do? You know, if you were Joseph for a second, and, and, and Potiphar's the, 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 the man of influence, his wife comes to you because you're ruggedly good looking. How many of us rugged, wish that we were ruggedly good looking? All right, that's good. What would you do? I mean, it's a simple question, isn't it? Uh, it's a simple question with a simple answer. What would you do? Of course, you would say what? No, good, good, that's answer. That's the right answer. Well done. You know, uh, of course, we're going to say no. But may I suggest that the answer that, that Joseph was to give wasn't so simple. You see, as a youth pastor, I remember talking on the, preaching on this topic, and, I, and, and we, we, don't, we don't know what... Potiphar's name was. And so I said that, well, Potiphar's wife was probably hot, so we just call her Hotifer. So it was Potiphar and Hotifer. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's fine. It's, it's a youth ministry joke. Anyway, and, and so, so here, we find, here we find Potiphar's wife, Hotifer, and she's coming to Joseph every single day and saying, will you sleep with me? And we think, you know what, that's a really simple answer. Go, no, because that would be the wrong thing to do. But it's not quite so simple. You see, Potiphar's wife held all the power. Potiphar's wife held all authority. I mean, he couldn't just go to, to Potiphar and tell what happened because it was his word against her word. You know, he couldn't just go and just make, uh, you know, and kind of say what had happened because he was just simply a Jewish slave. 
And she was the wife of one of the highest ranking military leaders in all of Egypt. See, she had the power. She had the power to terminate his job. She had the power to have him killed. She had the power to throw him in prison. And so she made a choice to try and sexually abuse Joseph. And what does Joseph say? Well, actually, in verse 10, it says that day after day, she came and she asked Joseph. And what does Joseph do? I mean, what what would you do if that was you? You know, what would you do if you were stuck in that situation, in that place, in that time? What would you do? See, it's not just as simple a question as it it sounds like, or or it's not with, with such a simple answer. In Alaska, wolves are a significant issue for Eskimos. And, and, and for Eskimos, they're, they're a significant issue because they, they eat their flocks and their animals, they eat their, their, their dogs, and they also attack their kids and their families. And so the Eskimos had to come up with a way of being able to get rid of these wolves that would come and attack them. And so they, they worked out this ingenious way. What they would do is they would get a sharp knife and they would sharpen it till it was razor sharp. And then they would freeze the knife until it, was, until it was hard frozen, really, really, really cold. And then they would dip the blade in blood. And then they would freeze the knife again and the blood would harden. And then they would, once it was hardened, they'd come back and they'd freeze it again. And then they would, sorry, they'd dip it back in the blood and then they'd freeze it. And then they'd dip it back in the blood and they'd freeze it. And they'd continue to dip the, the knife in blood and freeze it until there was a hard coating of blood all over the blade. And then what they would do is they would take it out to the forest near to where they were and they would dig it into the ground with the, with the blade pointing up in the air. And then they would leave. And because of the smell of the blood, the wolves that had got used to them and got used to their blood, they would come and they would sniff it out. And and one wolf would come over and it would begin to lick the blade of the knife. But then what would happen is they would, they, would taste the, they would taste the element of blood and they'd be like, oh, this is good. And so they, they, would, they would lick and they would lick and they would lick and they would lick and they would lick. And all of a sudden, they, they weren't aware that the blood that they were eating wasn't the blood that was on the knife, but it was their own blood because the, their tongues had got numb because of the frozen blood. And, and they would eat and they would drink and they would drink and they would drink. And what's fascinating is you would find a dead wolf within just a couple of meters of the knife because they would bleed out so quick. See, it's similar what happens with our temptations. See, if we're not careful, we're drawn into our temptations, we're drawn into our cravings, we're we're drawn into the things that are deep down dark in our hearts, and and with every lick we get closer to death. In fact, James chapter 1 says this, after desires are conceived, after temptations are conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So what would you do if you were Joseph. Verse 8 records what he said, and it it said simply this, but he refused. He refused the persistent pursuing of of Potiphar's wife. And in verse 10, it goes on to say this, 
And though she spoke to Joseph about this day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. After one, one day, after he went, in, sorry, one day he went into the house to the, attend to his duty. And none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But she looked at, but she, but he left his cloak in her hands and he ran out of the house. I mean, this has just got the next level. I mean, there's, there's one thing for like, you know, for, for, for just asking. There's, there's another thing to continue ask every single day. I mean, we've got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, she was persistent, yeah? Like she would not give up on trying to get Joseph. And we don't know how this story panned out. We don't know the circumstances around it. I mean, we don't know, you know, she kind of have this idea, this fetish in her mind, and she went, you know what? I've got to make this thing happen. And so, you know, she spoke to her, her slave and said, some of them home again. You know, it's an early day off. It's a public holiday today. It's the day for Potiphar. You know, there's, there's my name. You know, and so you know, I, so he sent some off, and then maybe he sent some fishing, and then he went some to the shops. And then I'm going, you know what? You, I know, can you take the dog Fido? Can you take Fido for a walk? And then it was like, can you go? Actually, these slaves over here are going to go get the eBay parcels that arrived in the post. We don't know how it all happened. All we know is there was no other slaves in Potiphar's house. And Joseph comes in like he did every day to the job that he was asked to do. And he arrives in and she's engineered an opportunity to entice him. And the devil does that with us, doesn't he? He engineers opportunities and ways to entice us into tempting us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. But back to the wolf. What I find so interesting is that the wolf dies not in a pack, but the wolf dies alone. See, the devil knows that we're weakest when we're by ourselves. He knows that we're weakest when we're alienated, when we're, when we're not around people who are pursuing, you know, who are encouraging us and challenging us and calling us to step up and to grow. He knows that, we're, he knows that isolation invites temptation. And so we begin to lick. And nothing happens and no one notices. But lick after lick, and all of a sudden we find ourselves right with guilt and shame and, 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 and all of these things. And then what do we do? We pull away from people that we really need in our life. Guys, it's why we need life groups. It's why next year one of our focuses is going to be around trying to get us all into some kind of community where we can do life together. See, it's in life groups that, that I know that I've got people that, account, that, that, that will hold me accountable from things. And there, there's people that I get to hold accountable. There's, there's a place where in our life group where, where we know that if, 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 if we need a bit of a gentle kick up the bum, then I don't wonder whether that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen in a loving, caring way within our life group. See, we need people in our lives. But what we do is we, get, we fall into temptation. Now, I want to clarify something. Temptation isn't a sin. It's when we act on that temptation. And so, so what we find ourselves is we act on our temptation. We fall into sin, and then we get racked with guilt. Now, I know none of you ever sinned, so this is like news for all of you. But for me, like I get racked with guilt and shame because of the things that I do. And what do I want to do? I want to step back into isolation. And the devil begins to whisper in my ear that, how bad are you? 
There's no one else that would ever do anything like this. There's, there's no one else that, that, that would do such a thing. And you are, you are extra bad because you are different and you are. And so what does that cause me to do? It causes me to shrink back and to pull away from people. See, James says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, how easy would it have been? Honestly, how easy would it have been for Joseph just to go, well, no one's going to know. I mean, Potiphar's not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to tell anyone. Like, no one's going to, no one's going to know because no one's here. I mean, what, what difference? Like, it's just a one night stand. I mean, it's not really going to make that much difference, is it? I mean, no one's going to know. No one's about to go run into Potiphar and go, do you know what you, no, 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 no one's going to do it. How easy would it have been for Potiphar just to have gone, oh, look, why not? I'm tired of the countless, relentless, anno- okay. See, Potiphar, what makes it more intriguing is that Potiphar, due to his ranking and his stature within Egypt, would have been significantly older than his wife. In fact, it was probably most likely that, that, that Potiphar's wife was in her late teenage years because she was like a trophy wife. She was the one that, you know, the, the, the Potiphar would take to the, to the big uh, events around Egypt and everyone would suck air as Potiphar's, as, as Potiphar's wife would walk in and... and, 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 and See, it was highly doubtful whether they were married because they loved each other. It was probably because he was a man of high-ranking office and influence. And he had either brought her, or bought her, which is the right way, bought her, or had organized for arranged marriage. It was no no doubt that it it would have been hard for Potiphar's wife to actually love Potiphar. And so here was Potiphar's wife, lonely. Desperate for someone to see her. Desperate for someone to, to hold her hand and caress her hair and, and to be with her with, that, that, that was someone that she liked. And then Joseph arrives on the scene. And remember, the Bible says that Joseph was, was well-built and handsome. And Joseph was somewhere between probably 19 and 20 at this point in time. And he is a young guy. He's a young teenage guy with hormones. And he's lonely. He's away from his friends. He's away from his family. He's away from people that would, that, would, that would hang out with him. He's away from any prospects, from any dates and marriages that could come his way. And, and make it worse, Joseph is a, is a slave in part of his house. He's working long hours and working hard and he's got a lot of responsibilities and there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And no doubt Joseph would have said, you know what, if only someone could just come and share some love with me and just love me and, and, just, and, and not ask a million things of me. And he could have easily said to himself, I mean, after all, I mean, after everything that I'm doing for Potiphar and everyone else, I mean, Surely I deserve a little love and affection as well. I mean, surely Joseph could have looked at Potiphar's wife and gone, well, you're lonely, I'm lonely, we could not be lonely together. But he didn't. And Joseph continued to say no. How did Joseph continually Resist the relentless temptations that were right in front of him. Church, how do we? How do we be people 
of faith and integrity? How do we be men and women of character who will say no when temptation comes? Well, I want us just, we're just going to look at verse 4, and we're going to look at, sorry, verse 9. We're going to look at a couple of thoughts out of this. Verse 9 says this. So this is Joseph talking to Potiphar's wife. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No, actually, it says sin against God. Church, I reckon there's four things that we need to do. We're going to resist temptation. Four really simple, yet four really difficult things. Because FYI, all of us have sinned. And all of us face temptations. The first thing we need to do is we need to resist the devil by relying on the Holy Spirit. See, Joseph found himself in a sticky spot. He found himself in a sticky predicament. But it said that the presence of God was with him. See, what what Joseph did in these moments is he listened to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. See, how many of us know that we can drown out the still small voice of the Holy Spirit? How many of us know that I'm guilty as charged? Sin is fun. And if it's not fun, I want to suggest maybe you're not doing it right. Because sin is fun. But the rewards certainly aren't. And God has better things in store for us. And we need to learn to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and not give in to temptation when it comes. But actually say, hey, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to be attentive. I'm going to turn my eyes to God and I listen for His Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tap out when I want to tap in. Secondly, he knew there was more. See, he... He knew she was more than just Potiphar's wife. He knew that she was a daughter of God. And he, he didn't use notice. It says, I, I don't want to sin against. It doesn't say, I don't want to sin against Potiphar. He said, I don't want to sin against God. See, Joseph understood that it would be harmful, not just for him and his job and his life, but actually the giving into temptation here would actually hurt his soul. And he knew that God had more in store for him than a momentary fling of sin. The third thing he did was run. Notice here it says, and she grabs, when she grabbed him, he ran. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't pull up a chair and go, all right, let's have a deep and meaningful conversation about this. I mean, we're going we're gonna, to like debate over the ethics of whether I should sleep with you or not. Like, you're going gonna to sit there and go, let's think about this. Should we? Shouldn't we? Like, I mean, this is, like, you got to understand, Mrs. Potiphar, like, this would be a really bad choice for you because it's going to affect your marriage and, you know, whatever's going to happen from there. And it's also going to be really bad for me. And so, no, no, what does he not do? He doesn't stick, he doesn't stick around. He doesn't stay around. He doesn't stay to Mrs. Potiphar. Hey, Mrs. Potiphar, what we're going do is we're going to have a prayer time. No, no, what he does is he runs. What he should have done is also take his coat. But he ran. He fled from temptation. And lastly, he prayed like life depended on it. Because it does. See, Joseph knew 
too well what the consequences were going to be if he said yes. So he cries out to God, and that's why it keeps saying time and time again that God was with him. And so he cried out, and he's gone, God, help me. God, give me the strength. God, give me the wisdom. God, let me the, give me the persistence to keep holding on to you and not giving in to temptation of Mrs. Potiphar. But then this happens. Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak behind in her hand and he had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has come and his, the, 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 this Hebrew has been brought into to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard my scream for help, then he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master, her, yeah, his master came home. Then she told him this story. This Hebrew slave you brought us has come to make sport of, sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife had told, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master, jo Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed him where the king's prisoners were, were confined. Church, a little hint for us all. And I know this is not going to be popular, and I know it's something we're probably not all going to say amen to, but life is un at times. What I find fascinating and a little bit disturbing in this story is that despite Joseph's faith and Joseph's faithfulness, he still got thrown into prison. I mean, look about it. I mean, think about it. You know, he honors Potiphar. He actually honors Potiphar's wife and he honors God and yet he still finds himself being thrown into prison. I mean, Joseph, he didn't fall for any temptation. He didn't do anything actually wrong. He actually did what was right. He left, he ran out, he got out of the situation. But he still finds himself in, in, in prison. I don't know about you, and as I read this, and I go, but God, that's just not fair. Like, I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, why would you do that? Why would you allow that? I mean, God, why would you, how and why? And well, I mean, I don't know about you, but... If we were Joseph and we weren't in church, we may be tempted to think, God, you know what? That's so not fair and I'm tapping out. I'm kind of done with this whole religious thing because, God, I tried to honor you. God, just, you know, it's just not fair because, you know what? I did everything right. I did everything right by you. I did everything right by your husband. I did everything right by her. And yet I paid the price. How many of us would think a little bit like me and go, you know what? I'm done. That's not fair. God, it's not fair. Like, why? Why would you do such a thing? Because I did the right thing. God, I didn't give any temptation. God, you know, I'm tapping out. God, I'm not coming back to church anymore. Because if, if you're a God who loves us, then that means you're a God who makes everything warm and fuzzy all the time for everyone who loves Jesus. It's in the book of David, chapter 15. That's not actually in there. But this is what happens in verse 20. Joseph's master took him 
and he put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph is in prison, get this, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness. And he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, that's not what I was expecting to read. That, that, that in the middle of his prison, God was present. That in the middle of his prison, in the middle of his pain, that God was there and he showed him kindness and favor. See, faith doesn't mean an absence of pain. See, God never promised that when we gave our lives to Jesus, it would be all warm and fuzzy. You know, God never said that when we give our lives to Jesus, there'll be an absence of problems and temptations. That when you commit your life to him, that it'll be all great from that moment on. No, actually, Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, when you give your life to me all in, there will be trials and there will be challenges and you will cop persecution. But the thing is that, and we see it from, from Joseph's example, that although he's in prison, God still has a promise. And that in the prison, God's still outworking his promise. And you're going to have to come back next week for more of that story because it's a cracker. And in the midst of his prison, there was problems and temptations, and yet God was still with him. The Bible verse in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy, trials. Not normally in the same conversation. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I reckon, church, the last couple of years of COVID and everything else showed a lot of the world where Christians were at. Because as soon as trials came, we tapped out and went, oh, I'm not going to do the church thing anymore. I'm not going to do the Christian thing anymore because, like, why would God allow things like this to happen and, and everything else? And, 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 and I reckon that the trials of our faith show the color of our faith. But what Joseph did was he trusted God and he held on because he knew there was more. But I don't know if you, you know, as I say that, you know, he held on to God because he knew there was more. I mean, that sounds really easy said than done, yeah? You see, Joseph's life wasn't just a story of how faithful he was to God, but it is a story of how faithful God is to him. See, Joseph got in prison, found himself in prison, and he was completely innocent. But it says in verse 21 that God was with him. In the middle of his dark cells when no one else was around, and it was nighttime, except for no one was there except for the concrete walls. And he could hear the, the cries and the yells of the, 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 the prisoners around him. And, and he could smell the stench of death as it wafted through the prison and through the walls. God was there with him. And wherever you are, no matter what trials and temptations you're facing, that God is still our God. 
And he wants to say to you, he says to us, that God is with us. See, God didn't stop loving Joseph in the prison. And God won't stop loving you in your problems. But this doesn't mean that we won't face any temptations. And even when Jesus himself, see, Jesus himself was tempted. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What temptations are you facing? What temptations may we have given into? You know, maybe it's the temptation to get even. Maybe it's the temptation to tarnish someone else's character. Maybe it's the temptation to to spend what you don't have. Maybe it's the temptation to cheat. Maybe it's the temptation to manipulate someone else. Maybe it's the temptation to compromise sexually. See, it's easy to give in, isn't it? And I find it so easy to give in when the devil begins to whisper in our ears. It doesn't really matter. I mean, does it really matter? No one has to know. I mean, you know what? The reality is, is you'll know, I'll know, but no one else needs to know. You know, does it really matter? Does it it really matter? I mean, no one's going to know. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to make you feel good. But but it is going to. And the devil begins to whisper in our ears, you know, it's but it's not going to hurt anyone else. I mean, does it, come on, it doesn't, it's not that big a deal. I mean, you can just say sorry if you want to, and that'll just make it all better. You know, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's easy to think and to justify it to myself, isn't it? It's easy to just justify it to myself and go, you know what? I start echoing the, the same words that the devil's been sowing into my head. You know what? No one will know, actually. Actually, you know what? If I just do it once, like, I mean, it's just a once off. Like, it's not really that big a deal. I mean, you know, like, I don't have to tell Shadi. I mean, I don't have to do this. I don't have to stand up in front and tell everyone about it. You know, I just, you know, I can just, no one will know. It doesn't really, like, in the grand scheme of, I mean, like, I'm not Adolf Hitler. Like, I'm not, I didn't do really, really bad things. Like, does it really, like, it's only a little thing. Like, it's surely, like, if we just, Pretend it's not there, like hey, it'll be okay. But j- j- uh. see, God doesn't want a momentary fling of sin for you. See, God doesn't want a momentary fling of sin for you because He knows what it cost to pay the price, and that's why He sent Jesus the world. It's why we, we stopped as we took communion this morning. He knows the price of what our sin and giving into temptation leads to. That, that He would send His Son who would be abused and misused. He would be beaten and nailed to a cross and crucified to death. Not because of what He did, but because of what I've done, because of what you've done. But the good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. That he rose again. That he conquered the power of sin. He overcame death himself. So I remember a few years ago. A few years ago, we're on holidays. And I remember walking along the beach late one night. And 
And I heard some noise around me on the, on the sand. And so I turned my torch on and there was, you know, the little soldier crabs, like hundreds of the things running everywhere. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like God is amazing. Do you have these little guys? And they're like running and then all of a sudden they just whoop, and they just dig a hole and they're instantly gone. You know, and I'm, and I'm like, this is so cool. I'm trying to not tread on them. And, and I thought, you know what? What would be even more cool is to bring Reuben down. So I grabbed Rubes, our middle son, and, and we went down the next night and said, Rubes, we're going on an adventure, dude. He's like, what are we doing? I just come, I'm not telling you. So we ran down to the beach with torches this time. And I had a torch, he had a torch, and we, and, I, and we had them off. And I said, all right, buddy, flick them on. Ready? One, two, three. And we flicked them on, and there was like hundreds of, you know, thousands of little sand crabs everywhere, running and scurrying. And so we spent like the next probably five minutes, felt like an hour, you know, running around, diving on the sand, trying to catch the little sand crabs or the little um, little soldier crabs. And then didn't really know what to do with them. So we let them go. And then we caught some more. And then we let them go. And then at the end of it, we kind of stopped and laughing together. And, you know, the moonlight was out and you could see the moon bouncing off the waves. And I'm like, I'm hot. And it's really hot, Rubes. you want to go for a swim? He goes, Dad, it'd be awesome, Dad. So we jumped in the sea and we're splashing each other, had a great time. And anyway, we kind of finished up. You know, went back to went back to our tent, and the next day I was talking to a friend of mine at the caravan park. I was telling him what we did last night. Oh man, just last night was awesome. My torches, little soldier crabs. He wasn't quite as excited as I. Like, yeah, that was so much fun. You go, you should come. Like, and and then what we did is at the end of it we went and jumped in the sea, and he looked at me and goes. Dave, you're an idiot. And I'm like, oh, that's probably, I don't know, she's using this sermon, but, you know, Dave, you're an idiot. I'm like, why is that? And he goes, do you not understand what goes on at the end? I'm like, well, it was hot and it was water and we thought that'd be a good combo. He goes, no, 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 no. That's when sharks, that's the time of the day when sharks come out to feed. And he goes, and to make it worse, we've actually seen a bunch of shark sightings around this part of the Sunshine Coast. Let me just say, we didn't go swimming at that particular time of night. In fact, I was reluctant to go swimming from any time beyond that time of night. Rubes and I had a great time together. But how I wish we treated temptation like that moment. See, what we do is we foolishly inch our way back into the waters of temptation. Proverbs 28 says this, like a dog returns to his vomit, so the foolish repeat their foolishness. So what we do is we, we inch our way back to temptation and we go, how far is too far? How close is too close? I reckon I can keep going, you know, like, and we sit there and we go, but yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, I haven't actually done anything wrong yet, yet. But, but like, and we play games with temptation and we wonder why we get burnt. See, I wish we treated temptation like that moment when I found out that that's when sharks feed and we've seen sightings. And we never went back in the water at that particular time of day. See, some of us here this morning are in those same waters not at the Sunshine Coast, the same waters of our temptation. And you know this morning you're in a place where you shouldn't be. You know this morning you're in a place where you go, you know what, if I'm all honest, and you know it because right now you're starting to get a little bit uneasy. And, and as I say these things, like 
you instantly have pictures and images and things begin to flood your mind. Your regrets and guilt begin to flood back. But see, our God isn't a God who wants to make you feel bad and feel guilty for guilt's sake. He's a God who wants to come and heal and forgive and then forget. So God's brought you here this morning because He's got a nudge for you to run and to not return to the waters of temptation. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.